we are back not with as much fanfare as clear love but i think we get a a, a strong showing here for second place this is the critical strike pod returning for episode three as always of course i am enrique demore joined by meg k and tyler escara guys how we doing good 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 you know just winding down the rest of the year um trying to relax trying to uh get ready for next year because next year is going to be super busy as we heard but uh yeah just relaxing now trying to wind down an lec start date has already been announced meg it feels like world's just ended oh i'm so excited i've been missing my competitive league i get that like the players need a break and everything and the broadcast talent needs a break and it's good to let them take time off but i just want the lec back i want to be able to watch my teams play again i as well want the lec back uh tonight when uh you know it, it is nice to get into, <laughs> back into the thank you uh back into the flow of things the offseason feels so amorphous uh, sometimes which leaves us us time you know talking heads like us to to ponder such big questions as uh, as are the theme of this pod episode three we decided how about three big questions for na uh we all know that na has many more questions than that and we aren't <laughs> here to just you know we try not to be your typical just, oh, any this, any that, uh, but really try to talk in a little bit more of a nuanced way. But the three big questions we're going to tackle here, should there be a salary cap? Should the import rule be removed? And then finally, what should NA be doing to help develop talent? That last one obviously is the gajillion dollar question. And if, you know, right. whoever does come here and figure that out, um, you know, like replace Chris Greeley with them as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. They deserve the commission <laughs> slot because Ooh. that is the gajillion dollar question. But we'll start with, uh, with, with something a little bit maybe more more concrete uh, this idea of a salary cap so i guess let's just uh let, let's just start with that and and, and meg I'll, I'll go to you because you had uh, when we were talking beforehand you you kind of came at this in, a, in an idea of protecting teams from themselves i mean i think it's fair to say that tsm can't afford to keep spending six million dollars every single year on top of all of the other contracts that they have forever it's incredibly unsustainable and I think it sets a really bad precedent for the rest of esports because it's just ridiculously overinflating the amount of money that like is even thought of in the scene. Like that kind of salary, if you were to go back to like even two, three years ago, that number is ridiculous. Like that wouldn't have even been considered within the realms of possibility and now it's just that's just how much someone is getting paid. Like you had perks being bought out for 5 million. That's just how much money people are willing to spend now. And like, it's hard, right? Because so you put a salary cap, you take the top down, you make them move the maximum that they're willing to spend down. But then you have the issue of how does that affect the salaries at the bottom? Does that mean that these players on teams that have maybe less money, so like your golden guardians, your immortals, like, do they get paid significantly less too? Like, are they then affected because these teams at the top have to be limited in the amount that they can spend? Like, I don't have a huge background in traditional sports. I think, like, that's more your guys' thing. So I don't know how salary caps have affected, like, other sports leagues before. Um, okay, so for for me, it's kind of like, so I kind of compare it to, like, for example, the NBA, how they have, like, a salary cap that prevents people from just... Because, like, for example, if there was no salary cap, L.A. would just buy everybody because they have the means. Um, like you said, it's kind of for parity in the way that it allows other teams to kind of... But, like, even... So this is where it kind of comes into play is, like, if you don't have a lot of money, what you want to do is basically build through the draft in the NBA. That's in the NBA, where it's, like... Because uh, if you do 
bad during the season, then you get a better chance of getting a first round pick coming out of like when you draft somebody out of um, out of college mm-hmm. university, right? That's how the draft works. Uh, obviously, that doesn't exist. Well, okay, it technically exists with the scouting grounds, right? How people mm-hmm. draft, but no, no, but who, who? Okay, yeah, whatever. That, that that's a different. Like that's not what you really think. Yeah, yeah, no. So. That doesn't really, like, we always see that, oh, they drafted so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And then two weeks later, their exclusivity rights have been waived and they're not even on the team anymore. Um, But I think that if we were to, if people were to, like, be put into a salary, because I think that it does set a really, really high standard. It, like, sets an unrealistic standard, right? I think that, because I still remember back when, Sven Skarin was like, they were talking about that 5.5K thing. And it's like $5,000. Yeah, the bonus. And now people are making millions of dollars. It feels like there's just a huge jump. It's just so much money. It's just so much money to the point where now everybody, like, it's just the norm now. But what happens to those guys at the bottom that don't have that kind of, like, infrastructure and, like, doesn't have that kind of, like, spending that capital, that kind of money to, to, to throw around, right? Um, I think that setting that kind of limit could be really good in terms of keeping things a little bit more balanced. Now, here to, to play kind of devil's advocate, like, yeah, yeah. do you think that the, so let's say you set like a salary cap, and I don't even know, you know, if, if this would be the case, because even, you know, even like in the NBA, you have like the super max and stuff that's like, look, there is a limit as to how much one player can earn, right? So a salary cap doesn't necessarily fix that. It just fixes, it's like, okay, everyone gets the same size pie. But what's to what's to prevent a team from you know spending let's say a salary cap arbitrary number five million or ten million and they pay perks eight million, right? Then you talk about those guys at the bottom; they're splitting that two million, right? Yeah. And how does that factor into like academy flexibility up and down? That the thing is, is that if you're willing to give that much of your, because we see this in traditional sports, is where people will like give a ton of money to one player, but now they don't have enough money to get other better supporting cast. Mm. Yeah. And so for a team, if there's a set salary cap, that's the trade-off. Is like, are you willing to sacrifice possibly your other roles in terms of quality or a good player or whatever in order to sign this really, really good star? Or do you have, like, for example, a rookie who's, like, you know... Because, um, for example, in the NBA, there's, like, a rookie contracts. They can't make... There's a set amount that a rookie can make in their first in, first few years, right? Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of things that have, will have to like happen in terms of um, uh, different elements if a salary cap is set. I think that they do need to do something like that for rookies if this ever were to happen. But like that's the kind of trade-off in my opinion. Is that if you're willing to tr- like to to blow a lot of your budget on one player, then you either have a rookie that you don't need to play a lot that's in the wings that is ready to take in the, a spot that like you don't have enough money to get another player for, or you're just willing to get someone who's of lesser quality because you've spent so much money. So, like, for example, if, like, Cloud9 had, like, a $10 million budget and they spent $8 million of it or whatever on perks, now you're going to have to get, like, worse off, like, lesser players in the other roles. And is that a good thing, too? No. So you, because th- I so think, you that think it would, like, self-correct to a degree? In a way, because I think that it's just... You'd have to be a lot smarter with the money. You can't just go, okay, let's just, let's just drop $20 million on this guy with the buyout and the thing because you need to think now, okay, but I still need to get other players for the other roles. 
and this money won't be enough because again, everyone's gonna have their own self-worth. They're like, why are you paying me that much when Perks is getting eight million? I don't think that's worth it. I'm gonna go know the team that like values me more basically, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I think that a salary cap would force teams to be a lot more selective and, um, and smarter with their money, which is a good thing usually. I think the main problem that I can see with it right now is it's like, it's the famous rule of capitalism is that money attracts money. Like having these really, really overinflated contracts makes the sport look more legitimate. And then you can attract mm. more investors. These teams can attract more investors and then they can start affording the contracts that they're giving. Right. So would decreasing these contracts mean that investors are less interested because they don't see esports as as much of like a valid sport? I don't know. My like my knowledge of economics is not the best, but I feel like it could be an issue that you'd run into where capping the salaries at a certain point kind of devalues the sport in terms of investment. I, I, th I think in terms of outside investment, honestly, I would agree because I mean, mm. I think you this isn't a perfect parallel by any means, but you look at, um, for example, English soccer, right? You have the big six and they're the big six because there is no salary cap in English soccer right out of the 20 clubs in the Premier League because they it's just because insanely rich people or sometimes even entire countries will buy clubs and mm -hmm. just they're able to buy the best players now right and it takes like it, it's cyclical like you said because they can afford you know the rich get richer the poor get poorer and a salary cap right. keeps that parity right so as far as outside investment right the only way an outside investor will see an opportunity right like as when kind of the big markets are taken up right then you have clubs mm -hmm. like you know not to flame the northeast but newcastle right is you know a club that is like they're, they were being considered being taken over by the Saudis. And, or maybe it was the UAE. I think it was the UAE, actually. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have to see that as an investment opportunity. And they're seeing it just as like, look, we've got enough money to where we're not trying to make money on this. We just want to, like, do this for our own kind of means. And, like, they would have to kind of build it from nothing. But it's like you said, it, it would require that influx of cash because that is how you get the wheel rolling. You need to spend money to make money. And if you don't have someone yeah. there to spend said money, then you're not going to become profitable right that's how you know the big six clubs operate and then that relegates some clubs to being right sort of like we're seeing now with even like golden guardians taking on that identity and i think this even raises a bigger question of like okay where are teams getting their money from right how much does riot maybe need to subsidize right and like i don't know the minutiae of that and i would love to learn more about that but like you know golden guardians because they have nba money or now a stark lack thereof they become selling clubs right and their whole business model and way to stay profitable is they have to become self-sustaining and that is by investing less into international scouting and maybe more into like domestic or like you know opl scouting let's say build from right? within type of thing yeah exactly and then you've got to find a way internally to maximize the value of those players and you sell them on then you take that money and use that to pay again more young talent well so you become yeah. the like look we will pay you better than other orgs will pay young talent because that is all we yeah. do mm -hmm. i mean i guess if you're talking about the like development of na then the like these the existence of these small teams who really kind of have to flip players every single year in order to be able to just continue surviving like in this ecosystem i guess like the existence of clubs like that is really really good for north american talent development but then do you have to have these ridiculous big spending clubs in order for teams like golden guardians to exist or can golden guardians still exist in an ecosystem where everybody is spending less money. 
it's a mm. it's yeah. a, definitely a difficult one to tackle yeah, sure. and it's tough because we like to throw you know like economics is economics and like you know we try to throw metaphors to establish sports leagues because that is you know they work to a degree but you know again sticking to these metaphors that might be imperfect right like um Meg, your 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 question again. I'm sorry, I, for, I, I forgot. I had a point, and uh, you said, uh, Can, oh, oh, "Does the, um, the big club necessitate the existence of a league?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so yeah. yeah. But for example, like in a salary cap league, you know that doesn't really exist, right? Because everyone's spending the same amount of money, right? Like for instance, in, in the NBA, destinations are destinations now. Well, one because of player empowerment, and players are now dictating where they want to go, and players are drawn to other players. But that's maybe a separate discussion. Is you know, players want to play in LA because it's warm, and that's it. Right. It's not because it's a big club. It's not because it's a big team, because everyone can pay you the same amount of money. Right. Your, your, your market is determined, you know, like the, the size of the club or the prestige of the club is determined by where you are geographically. And that's not a problem that esports has. Right. Or at least not league. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could argue like, oh, Overwatch, CDL. Right. They're doing a regional model and whatever. But we're not talking about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think there's a lot of honestly credence to that point of like the little clubs can't, you know, light can't exist without darkness. Right. Like the, the existence of one mm-hmm. would kind of necessitate the other from just examples that we've seen and i guess like if you're talking about capping salaries it particularly affects the like import players as we've seen with um soda he i am not even going to begin to try and get into the like the intricacies of how tax works between the us and taiwan like i'm going to leave that to the people who actually know what they're talking about but essentially so um, I, I heard uh, on, on the dive uh, on the most recent episode when they were talking about this uh, from what, you know, again, this doesn't like solve all the issues, but it's like the mm. amount of like, oh, you're, you know, we're, we're transferring this player and that is a transaction that has to be taxed. Right. Uh, apparently, a lot of the kerfuffle was pre-tax or post-tax numbers. And mm. uh, one, you know, I think it's like the U.S. does everything in like post-tax numbers and China does everything in, in pre-tax or Taiwan does everything pre-tax, one or the other. But that was where a lot of the kerfuffle came from. Okay. Oh, but anyway, that's still like that still kind of illustrates my point is that like if you are just paying these players less for North American players, that's fairly like players who not necessarily were born, but like have lives and live in North America. That's not too difficult because it's a flat dollar sum like that doesn't change anything. But then if you're trying to import players, how does that affect them? Because they will like when you have to factor in like exchange rates and things like that, if they still have to pay tax to their home country rather than playing it to North America. I think import players are going to be the ones who are affected by this like this hypothetical salary cap the most. And then I guess that brings you around to the argument of, well, is that a good thing? Because does that mean that North America will start relying less on mm. imported talent? So, so you're saying that it would negatively impact imports or make North America a less desirable place to go for imports and therefore like kind of less I think so. Because the thing, I think the thing that we've seen with North America and with, so the, like, this is an incredibly stereotypical view and it's not necessarily something that I agree with, but I'm going to use it for the sake of illustrating this point. So it's European players go to North America and Korean players go to China when they want to make more money. And that's the reason that those players go to those regions is because North America and China just offer more money than Korea and Europe do. So, like, it's clear that money is a, if not exclusive motivating factor, it is a very, but like, people like making money at the end of the day. Like, it has to be a motivating factor in why Mm -hmm. players choose to go where they go. So, does that change, like, the international climate of, like, players moving around if North America suddenly changes the amount of money they give? I mean, like, I think that 
a lot of the reasons why, like whenever somebody says, you know, they're leaving Europe or something, it's like, why would you leave Europe? It's such a, it's a growing region and like, it's so like, uh, it's popular and, and, and it's very successful, but it's like, they're getting paid $4 million or $2 million or something. It's like, that's a lot of money. And in esports right now, at least, it's like, that isn't a normal amount of money to pay a player yet, you know? But from the way that things are going, it'll start to normalize that way, right? We see a bunch of contracts that are going into the millions, Jensen and now Sword Art, like that'll start to normalize for players. And so I think that, I don't know, it's, 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 it depends on where you're looking f at it from. I think that, like you said, it'll affect imports and the, the, the region's desirability. But at the same time, does that mean that North America will then start to invest a lot more into their own scene? Maybe because they're forced to. Yeah. So, so it depends on what kind of outcome you want from it, right? Like if you're a big NA fan, maybe you're it looks good because it's like, hey, if NA is forced to start um, investing a lot more into the development of their own players because imports are looking at NA and it's like, oh, but the salary cap, they're not going to pay me as much as I could have and blah, 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 blah. Then maybe you're like, okay, maybe we should put the salary cap in because maybe then we'll start to grow from within rather than just importing other people. And then the scene will grow organically. Um, but if you're somebody else, like if you're looking at overall, it's like maybe that's pretty crappy because then other players are not going to be wanting to go to, to the league. Maybe that'll affect the, um, the I don't know, the popularity, I guess, because, you know, let's be real, like, NA is made up of a lot of imports, so we'll see, we'll see. It's going to take a long time, but, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's uh, a great way to transition even to our second question, right, is, like, about the import rule itself, uh, which we were kind of already talking about, but consider this the formal transition, I guess. I don't know, we'll put this in the podcast notes. So, all right, at 19 minutes and whatever seconds, want to hear about this, this is what we're talking about. Um, but, like, I, I think I think you're, even, even like, the way you were talking about it shows, you know, again, how complex this is. And I think that everybody wants it to be, you know, such a cut and dry thing uh, because it's much easier to talk about. And, you know, because I think if you asked most everybody in NA that, that roots for the region is, of course, we want to like build from them. We want to do whatever we can to make the to make the region a self-sustaining talent factory. Of course, in a perfect world, we all want that. Like other like other regions, right? Exactly. Like other regions, because, yeah, then you don't have to rely on on imports. And, you know, but right now it's like, you know, if, if, you know, and, and again, I think this is why it would have to be gradual. If you just did like a hard cut of like, let's say, you know, I don't know, they wouldn't do this, but it's like, all right, no more imports or like everyone only gets one import and you can only pay them this much, right? Then if the scene were to develop organically, right? Like, like just because you don't have imports doesn't mean that the scene mm -hmm. would necessarily develop organically. Like that is not the only thing that would have to happen, right? And, you know, the region still needs to be like, you know, competitive and like you want to make all the NA minor region jokes, this is your time now. Right. Because, yeah. like, again, there are other things that need to happen. So I think it's like, you know, I, I, I would like to, you know, not not just because our, our boss, Kevin, is, is a big MLS fan, but I think the example is kind of appropriate is that Major League Soccer, they do kind of a hybrid model where it's like because the U.S. is still working on developing its own talent, you know, and like building up the infrastructure. It's like, OK, while we do this, we're going to have a salary cap league across all 26, 28 mm -hmm. teams. But what we have is this thing called a designated player and you can sign international talents and like they are outside of your salary cap. I'm not saying this would work for League of Legends, 
but I'm saying like this oh, kind of hybrid okay. model because they recognize, look, if we just like international players, right, that are bang for your buck, like just better than the American talent, they're not going to want to come here because we have a salary cap league and we're not going to be able to pay them. So it's like, all right, every player gets, I think it's uh, yeah, up to three players. I'm looking at the rules right here. Designated player rule, rule allows clubs to require up to three players whose total compensation and acquisition costs exceed the maximum salary budget charge. So it's like, here's your like, you know, your way to get talent here. Oh, so you can go over the the, the salary cap with that person. With that person, exactly. So oh. it's like, who's your DP, okay. right? That is always the discussion of like, you know, like teams are, the teams are being added, like expansion rosters right now. Like like our boss's favorite club, Austin FC, who's kicking off this year, right? That's the big question is like, okay, you've got your homegrown talent or whatever. Who's your DP, right? Who'd you go out and get from Europe, South America, Mexico, right? Um, and again, I'm not saying that's perfect because even as I thought of this, it's like, okay, well, why not, you know, how, how far are we really from where we were, where orgs just get, yeah. again, unlimited funds to splash on those guys? Uh, but I think it, I, I bring it up because of the spirit of it, of saying, like, look, MLS finds itself, I think, in a similar position to North American League of Legends. This is something that is not American, but we want to uh -huh. try to get good at, but we can't churn out our own players, so we have a reliance on other talent. Like... So for for my 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 mentality towards the import rule right now, well, okay. What the problem with NA with NA is that there's a lot of things that are wrong with the region that have to do with like the roots up. It's not just like, um, like a second level problem, third level problem. This is like at the bottom, and it's gonna take a long time to fix the region, but it's doable. Um. In terms of the import rule, I I don't know if I would be all for removing it. I think that, so for example, you could say that if you remove the import rule and allow teams to just sign as many as they want, it would force North American players to really improve themselves in order to stand out because why would they want to sign you if they can just sign someone from Europe or Korea or China which it's basically like trial by fire or, you know, force, it's just forcing them to improve because if you really want to be a pro in North America, you'll have to get better because the import rule is not there. On the flip side, I think that by enabling an import rule, obviously this forces the teams to look at our North American players. And I think that if, I guess it's happening now, maybe people start to realize that we need to start developing and nurturing our younger growing talent because we have to get players from our region, which is also good. Ultimately, I think that the, the responsibility both lies in the players and the way that they have like their mentality towards the game right now. Um, because you know the whole meme about how like, oh, pl uh, NA players, they just want to be streamers. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They just want to, you know, be a one trick or whatever. But I also think that there's a, there's a, responsibility for the teams too and then they're doing it now we can see that now right you got like cloud nine with their amateur team you got tsm with their trainees you have 100 thieves next like these, they're, they're, they're starting it's like a slow healing process um but i still think that there should be a, an import rule I, i'm not for taking it away completely i think that making it so that the teams are a little bit responsible as well it's good to have the teams responsible as well in terms of making sure that the region isn't just relying on outside talent because you have to have North American talent now. And by introducing these new players and giving them the chance to succeed and giving them the chance to grow and play in these settings, I'm all for that. 
I think for me, one of the most interesting parts of like North America is this kind of import destination is the knock-on effect that it has on Europe. So I was talking to um, Odo Amne this week. I had an interview with him this week, and he was talking about how like the like the sheer number of rookies in the LEC really really motivates the older players to like work so much harder because they know that there's always someone willing to take their job but they also have the thought in their head of it's like import rules are a thing even if someone takes my job in europe there are so many other places that i can go and play because the import rule is open so in terms of looking at north america i would be really curious to see how a change to the import rule would affect the competitive scene in other regions so would you see because so say North America just can't have any imports anymore. Like you can only have North American citizens, like players who have North American citizenship, I think is the the way the import rule works now. You have to be a citizen. And like, so if you get rid of that and you ha- you say all your players have to be from North America, how does that affect Europe? How does that affect Korea? How does it affect the performance of these players knowing that there is nowhere else they can go outside of their region? Once they're done in their region, they're done. And that's like, that's their last shot. I would be really, especially because there have been a lot of complaints levied at Europe recently that they're going through talent too fast. Like they're just one split of a rookie and they're done. Like if they don't perform straight away, that's it. You're out. We're going to replace you with someone new and better. I would be really curious to see how that would knock on to other regions and whether that would necessarily make their like going through talent. It would make them consider going through talent slower. I don't know. The problem with an import rule is that it affects everyone, right? Like, you change the import rules in North America, that has a knock-on effect on the whole world. And it's it's difficult to see how you could... I don't want to use game terminology, but balance it for everyone and not just have it exist in the NA, like, infrastructure, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because... Um, like, for example, on the other side of it, if you remove the import rule, and because, like, we were talking about, like, um, salary cap, because uh, NA doesn't have one, and the top teams have moolah out, uh, out, out of their ears, it's like, we could see a lot more players shift hands, right? Because if they're willing, if they're able to just, like, we can offer all of these guys contracts because we can get whoever we want, That'll also affect the balance of the, the, the league, cause like we saw that in like like the Overwatch League when they used to do full Korean teams, and when let's London be honest, Spitfire was all Koreans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who's to say like if the import rule gets removed and we can just sign how many uh, like we want, we're just gonna build full Chinese, full Korean teams. We've seen that before with I think it was LMQ. Mm-hmm. And That's they, a throwback. Like, almost, yeah, and and then they almost won the LCS instantly first season. Like, uh, I think that right now, this kind of keeps it a little bit more, I don't know. Like, <sighs> but then that kind of gets back into, like, what we were talking about before. Like, you know, they could just go out and sign all these, you know, Korean players. But, like, would they <clears throat> would they take salaries that weren't, like, you know, Korean caliber, to use a, a term bluntly, right? Like, and would that, you know, again, just ensnare teams into spending out of their means, right? It's like, you know, teams have some delusion about, like, okay, we'll just throw all these money at, like, you know, we can just sign whoever we want. But can we? I mean, I feel like a lot of people will justify that by saying we're just um, investing into our future by bu- bu- buying these really, really good players. 
It's like Sword Art, right? Mm-hmm. That's an investment. Like these players are not just like, oh, we're gonna win, but they're also investing in the future because they'll help build the brand. They'll help but is get it an them investment, more team. Though, because like you can't. In he theory. will. I. Th- I mean, he can't. There's no way he will be able to keep going on that same salary for more than like two years. Obviously. I'll have an intimate knowledge of TSM's finances. You could put a spreadsheet in front of me and I probably still wouldn't understand it. <laughs> but, like, there's no way that they can pay 12 million. That's so much. That's more than they spent to buy money. into franchising. That's so much money. Jeez. And they can't just keep paying that getting much money. It. So it's, it's, they can't keep getting away with this. They yeah. can't, it's not, it feels like a short term, like, this is a really stupid analogy. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like that US infomercial where there's a load of water coming out of like a split in and a glass tank. And he has the, the, the flex and tape. And this guy gets and he just the goes tape like this. and yeah, yeah, smacks yeah, yeah, yeah. it on. It feels like that's what they're doing. It feels like they're just throwing money at a problem to I mean, try and make it go but away. That's what and imports it's gonna. Are. It's kind of just like, like from, in my opinion, in North America, imports have all, like, have a, a majority of imports have been that flex tape slap mm-hmm. of like we can't find anything let's just sign a big name that whatever and then bring them over and hope that we do well like i don't think that like the only imports that i think well like bjergsen core jj i think is a good one that's not a flex tape slap like that's what i'm gonna call them now mm-hmm. is flex tape slaps <laughs> like if they're just a random player that they brought over because of like for example i hate to bring this up like immortals mm-hmm. their yep. roster we were gonna get there eventually I hated the what they did because it was a lot of flex tape slapping. And what are the players supposed to do in that point, right? They get signed so to a team. Just you have import Ica. slots doesn't mean you should use them. Exactly. And then now these guys, these poor guys are getting flamed for doing their job, right? It's not their fault that the roster maybe might not have been ideal, mm-hmm. but they're they just there to play League of Legends. They play with at the end of the day. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And so for NA, we've seen a lot of flex tape slap players. And what happens, right? Like, for example, Febivin. Uh, I thought that Febivin, to me, when he came to NA, was kind of a flex tape slap, right? Yep. With Clutch Gaming. And then when he went back, he kind of struggled. And now he's on Fnatic Rising, right? Yep. And so I, I don't think that, like, these flex tape slap type of players is just kind of... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's not like... That's, that's the problem that it creates, right? This kind of, like, vacuum of, like, oh, we have these you know, these import slots, so, you know, oh, crap, Alfari's gone, Jensen's gone, Core JJ's gone, ah, Aika. And, like, I hate to use that example because I don't want to just, like, he's been through enough, but, like, you know, he, he is that yeah. kind of poster boy. I feel bad for him. I feel, I feel, I feel bad. Awful. I feel bad for Aika. For like, he, his situation, it's just like, he just wants to play League of Legends. And he got signed to a team in North America. And it's not like you're, you're not gonna, like, I hate this mentality, right, because it's like, oh, he's so bad, he should just not play. Do you really think... Someone is going to be offered a job and just be like, actually, you know what? No, no, I'm not going to take yeah. this money that I'm being offered. No. I will not. I will just sit home and play solo queue instead. Like, that's delusional. Players are going to take the offers that they're given. They're going to play. Just because you think that they're bad doesn't mean that they, like, will refuse a job offer. And then, like, it's the fault of the orgs for not putting any thought into building their rosters and just subjecting these players to all this abuse, not protecting them from any of it, not making any kind of statement about their players' performance, and then just firing them at the end of the season because it's like, oh, community didn't like you, you're out, bye, see ya. Like, that whole immortal situation just sat, did not sit right with me at all. Yeah. Mm. I think it even goes to, you know, <clears throat> hopefully that can be kind of, a, I think, a, a lesson as to, 
like kind of what, what Tyler was saying was like, okay, back to the salary cap question, right? If you give perks 80% of the pie, what do you do with that 20%, right? And it's like League of Legends is a team game enough to the point where roster construction really does matter and that kind of thing you know, oh, 100%. isn't sustainable, right? You can't 1v9. This isn't solo queue, right? Uh, in, and like, you know, it's it's uh, <clears throat> League of Legends is more of a, I, I think I literally might have heard this on a League podcast a while back, but it's like a strong link sport versus a weak link sport, right? Like, and I don't know which mm. one's which, but it's like in basketball, you know, LeBron James by himself can turn the Cleveland Cavaliers from a 25-win team to a 60-win team by himself, right? In soccer, right? Maybe it's because there are more men on the pitch, fine. But, like, I think even disproportionately, you would say that, like, you can't just bring over one player and expect him to change the outcome of the game to that degree. And I think league right. league is a lot more like soccer than basketball. Yes, 100%. 100%. There's no, there's no solo carrying anymore in this game. The way that they change the game is very team-based now. Um, and if organizations, like, I'm not, this isn't to say, I think that now it's getting better. I think that a lot of teams now have changed the way that they're, that they're looking at roster building, right? But like that, this last year was kind of tragic in terms of just, okay, we can, we can, we can get this guy back. And there's no thought as to whether those like players would work well with each other. I think kind of the, the thing that will not fundamentally change because that's a very big thing to say but i think something that will change a lot of how um like the import system is viewed is how c9 do internationally this year i think if perks can actually come from europe and just straight 1v9 on this cloud 19 not only domestically because i think they're expected to do well domestically anyway i think if they if he can get na the wins internationally i think that might force a look at how the import system works just because he will up the value of specifically European imports so drastically that I think it will maybe require some kind of change. I don't know though. It's I think we'll definitely have to wait and see. I don't know. I think Perks is just special in general. I don't I think he's a special like example. Perks is Perks, right? Like I think that Perks is like like if there's a guy that deserved that contract. <laughs> In Europe, yeah. like, yes, it, it, yeah. it, it's him because he, yeah, like I think he's a he's a he's a different breed yeah. of I, player. I, I think it'll it would be interesting, and you know, if only we could like run simulations right of, of the league, and you know, like kind of look back at this with retrospect is is being like okay, you know, guys like Sword Art and Perks, right? If if they come over and do well, right, that might say something more to well i guess actually i was going to give the tl example of like okay that's a team basically made entirely out of imports and any superstars but tactical exists so i kind of threw a, a wrench in my example but like you know if you pair sword art with lost who is a mm. fresh faced north american talent and they become the best bot lane in na right and they just start dumping on kids right they make tac tactical and core jj look like me and my friend right like if they do that, then it's like, okay, yes, that, that speaks to the value of an import. Then it's like, look, North America is still an attractive place for you to come, right? Because you can win things, right? And also, look how good this can be for young talent, right? Now, I get that the bot lane the is like, you know, exactly, right. right? It's like growth comes internally just from competition and you have to be self-motivated. But it's like, like, like I don't play AD carry. Like, like I play support. But it's like, if, if I was an AD carry, I would love to get, like, to get paid to have lessons with Sword Art on how to play bot lane. Hello? Right? Like tactical must be I'd on the moon playing with oh Core my JJ. Gosh. Yeah, exactly. And, and Core JJ as well. Like I'm uh like I'll hopefully have a, an interview with him uh shortly, but like the the thing he's doing with like these in-houses on his Twitch stream, Core JJ is already my favorite player for a number of reasons. Um his bard play. It's because of his bard plays. 
mm-hmm. <sighs> makes me feel some kind of way. But like he like <laughs> but like he's the reason he's, you know, kind of doing this is like, look, look, I'm, I'm a part of this region now. He's kind of like made it his home. And he's like, look, home. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, he's like, I'm going to mm-hmm. do 30 streams in a row, 30 days in a row of in-houses to just show, you know, yes, I'm not going to get near. I'm only going to get, you know, X amount of views. Like I, I, he's got enough viewers on his channel to where he's I dedicated to this, to this region. Yeah. I and love it's it. like, I can ask him a question on Twitch chat and he would respond. That's how few kind of viewers mm-hmm. he has in the grand scheme of things. But that's not the point. The point is he has like, he, he is he's putting in that effort and he's like you said he's making it his home and being like look we're gonna showcase niles right in like this very low stakes environment we're gonna show a blaze olive we're gonna show lost right these kind of guys who've been fringe talents because he cares about the region and i think that's the coolest thing in the world he's just, not he isn't just, he isn't a flex tape it's just exposure he is, he's right? here the worst thing yeah the, the, the thing that people thought was the worst thing to happen to tl in double lift just like decided not to have motivation anymore ended up with tactical right and now everyone and their mother wants to find their own tactical Right, you don't know what you've got until they get a shot, and just expose. And that's the biggest thing. But it's high risk. I think that like, it's. I think that's the biggest thing for me is that like, you don't know what you got till you've tried it out, and I think that that is one of the biggest things that North America needs to do. I think that that's one of the well, that's going into the next topic, but like, um, I think that might be a good transition. Whatever. I think it's a great transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, No, it's a. it's going to be uh, about okay, but to, to to wrap up uh, and, and knock off here, okay, uh, yes, yes or no, change the input rule, and if you change it, it doesn't have to be like hard, like yes or no, or is it like you know go from three to two or two to one or something like that? Just rapid fire, Tyler, start with you. Um, I don't want to change the import rule right now. I think that there's a lot. From what I've seen, I don't think I think that we're learning how to use the imports a bit better now. I think we're being a little bit more mindful of who we import now, not rather than just getting the. I think that there's a lot more. We're getting a little bit more smarter, so I wouldn't change it right now. I think that we're getting better at it. I getting we're getting smarter with what we with what we have. So no, I wouldn't change anything, right now. Meg. Um. I think um you take the import rule down to one. I think okay. especially because a lot of the, like we're seeing, we had Huhi, we have Impact now, we have Huni. Like a lot of the the previously imported talent is now NA resident. I think NA would definitely take a hit at first, but I also think that it would force teams to look more into rookie talent development if you take the import rule down to one import player. And before anyone comes at me on Twitter, I've n- this was asked to be quick far. I have no idea what the repercussions <laughs> of this would be. I have not and none of it. Don't don't come at me. I am saying this with my hands up. I have no idea what at, that would at do. Underscore Magito. Get rid of one of the imports. <laughs> but but I, I, no, I, I think in theory that's a great idea because, like you said, I, I, I am of the mind as well that it's a bit of a necessary evil right now in a perfect world we wouldn't have and we'd have a self-sustaining region, blah blah blah. But that's not the world we live in. We don't live in a perfect world for ten thousand reasons. Uh, but I think gradually, it's a band-aid. It's a bridge make the bridge shorter because I think we're at a place where we can do that and we're also at a place where we can go into a transition so we're going to take a quick break here and get back to you with the uh, last little chunk here of episode 3 of the Critical Strike Podcast don't worry
Welcome back to part two of episode three of the Critical Strike Podcast. Enrique, Megan, Tyler here with you as always, uh, tackling the big questions. Why the heck not? Uh, we've been given a platform to just uh, blab somewhat intelligently and in a structured way, but, but blab we will. Answering the gajillion, attempting to answer anyway, the gajillion dollar question as best we can. What should NA be doing to develop new talent? Uh, and even when we talked off air, I think the, 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 the kind of tenets that we came down to were it's accessibility, and exposure and then kind of talent cultivation it's like okay great what does that look like uh you both have, i feel like uh i feel like the host of shark tank right it's like bring me your your proposals like why does plan megan playing tyler uh succeed so we'll start with start with plan tyler uh this time okay so i actually interviewed wild turtle who's one of the ogs of the lcs and what we were talking about is that the amateur or younger players of this region do not have a platform or enough places to showcase themselves and get experience. Like we said, well, the biggest thing for the amateurs is that they don't have a place to, one, get experience on, a, on stage level, and they also don't have a place to get exposure. And by exposure, it's more so they're not exposed to not only the fans, but also the scouts and the teams. Um, mm. If you look at Europe, I think that the ERL is a perfect example of setting a stage for the players to not only prove themselves as, oh, I can play in a, in, a, in a setting where we have coaches and we have a team setting and it's a tournament setting and we're on stage. And not only that, but we always see LEC teams taking talent from those regions and from those tournaments like the EU Masters and you know the UKLC and all these other regions that have these tournaments. There's so many venues for them to go to that in NA we don't have. Um, there aren't enough places for them to show off their skills. I, the only places they have really, like, viably are the collegiate scene, um, scouting grounds, and the NA Academy. That's three. So for me, I think that we just need a lot more land tournaments. I think we need more places on stage, like, outside of an online setting. You are on stage, facing off 5v5, you're, you're, you're next to your teammates. The pressure must be, like, you have to replicate. You kind of have to try to replicate how the LCS is going to feel. Uh, of course, you're never going to get that straight experience. But to start it off and get their foot in the water is super important. And, like, for example, Wild Turtle, he played in multiple LAN tournaments before he even joined TSM, which is why when he joined, he told me, he's like, when I joined the LCS, it wasn't that much different. And so... That's why you see so many new players in Europe is because these new amateurs that haven't been seen get a chance to be seen. Um, and then they make a name for themselves in those tier two, tier three tournaments. And they build themselves up. And by the time they get to like eat the, the European Masters, which is the, the, the top of like the tier two, I guess, before the, LC, the LEC, they've already built a name for themselves going up. Like, you notice that a lot of these younger players, you hear people's like, oh, no, I've seen this guy before. I've seen them play in such and such league, and then they played in the European Masters. They helped carry their team to, like, a third place, whatever. You don't hear that with North American, like, rookies, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, they've been smurfing in any academy for, like, two years now mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, like, tactical, right? Um, we've seen so many players that are just on any academy, just chilling, Right? Uh, and so I think that, and that's the only place that they can really show their skills, but like any academy. People just don't like, like take it seriously enough, I don't think. People, no, people, yeah, people, not, people don't not, care. Not yet. 
Yeah. No. So I think that more land tournaments that aren't really connected to the academy league or the collegiate, like collegiate is good, but I think that we need a lot more in order to like help give our young players the on-stage experience that they need and also give them the exposure that they need for these LEC uh, and these LCS and LEC maybe we don't know um these 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 higher tier orgs to try and see them and say oh that guy's really good and then they can sign them to their academy team or sign them to their training team yeah. and i even think like just to go off that real quick is like i think that even a step in the right direction i i i feel like i've hit on this point literally every podcast but like what riot did with the academy structure and integrating kind of the top level amateur teams right and like we talk about how you know in europe right it's like guys are motivated to work hard because the talent pool behind them you can feel it right you can feel them chomping at your heels exactly yeah. right so that's gonna make you work hard but i think it's also cool that like you know for the people that do tune into academy which you know again it's a very small section of people but those people that do that they're like wait a minute like you know freaking whoever it is like uh, Hanser or something is just getting absolutely clapped by Niles, right? Or like whatever, right? Like up in the top lane, right? And like that's a cool thing, right? And so I think, and again, I don't know how you make people care about Academy. I don't know how you, you know, do that. That's a question for the marketing team, not for me. Um, but I think mm -hmm. also like once we come out of the pandemic, I think, you know, that'll be nicer because then you get, you know, again, just this onstage experience and it's not just, you know, because I've broadcasted Scouting Grounds games from this chair right here, right? <laughs> and like yeah. that doesn't feel good. And I get that it's because of the pandemic, but also like, if afterwards things are still the same, uh, yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah for real. Uh, but then, you know, uh, yeah, but then, okay, that's the exposure half of it. But then accessibility uh, as well, right? I made the reference of, of pick up basketball, uh, and that's not really, or just pick up soccer, right? Just getting the accessibility of these things. Meg. Speak. That was my awful transition. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes. Um, we were we kind of discussed this a little bit in the the meeting for this podcast episode and a little bit in the break as well. Um, one of the reasons that for so long Korea was so far ahead of everyone in like pretty much all esports minus a couple crucial ones like I know Koreans weren't particularly into like the old old FPSs like the Call of Duties and the CS:GOs, but in like in a lot of esports Koreans have been ahead of the curve for a really long time and a lot of that is because of the culture around. PC gaming in Korea and the existence of PC banks. Like, there's just this place that you can go, you can pay a rate by the hour, and you can just play video games on a really, really good PC with, like, super good internet, with, like, four ping mm -hmm. from a PC mm -hmm. bank, and you can just play. And that's not something that really exists anywhere else in the world. Except it does, because I was thinking about this earlier when we went and took a short break. There is a thing in the UK. Do you guys have... You have game stores in the US, right? Like, the, the video game retailer. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like GameStop, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or as in like game, as in just game. The There's like a video a game retailer that's literally just called game. We do not have that, no. Okay, no, we so we just have that. that in the UK. There is a video game retailer called game, and they have a like an initiative called, I think they're called Belong Game Arenas, and it's essentially a PC bang in the basement of a video game store. So there's one in London. That, that feels so authentic. That feels so mid-2000s. I love that. <laughs> there's Just one, playing games in a basement. Yeah, yeah. and there's, they set up these like little tournaments every couple weeks or so. Like There's one in Oxford Street in London. A uh, little plug for Belong Gaming Arenas. I think they're super cool. Uh, there's one in Oxford Street in London. And you can just go, you pay a rate, and you play using their PCs for a couple hours. And they have like these community nights where each night is a different game. That would be kind of easy to set up in North America and I think what the org should be looking at doing is partnering with colleges and then setting up these like PC bangs 
in the colleges, not necessarily having like a like a collegiate partnership where it's like collegiate players from that college get funneled into that um, LCS team. But I think if you could work out some kind of financial agreement with between the LCS teams and the colleges, you could have them spread out all of those colleges everywhere in the US. You could have them spread out all across the country. And it's just like you have high school kids can come and do it. You have college kids can come yeah. and play. No, on it, these it, It's because universities are hubs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. like, I think I can't like apologies because I can't for the life of me remember who brought this up. But when the the conversation that happens every year after North America doesn't do too well at Worlds and everyone's like, oh, what's the problem? We need to fix this. Like, what can we do? There was a, I can't remember the life of me who tweeted it, but I saw a tweet that someone sent that was like, esports or PC esports in the US are not a meritocracy because PCs, mm. good PCs are so inaccessible to like a large amount of the population because it's expensive to buy a PC and why would you buy a PC yeah. when you can get a console for half the price that or, you can play the or, same or, games on? Or buy even like a pair of cleats and a soccer ball or a pair of basketball shoes and a basketball yeah. for a hundred bucks. The cost doesn't even compare. Like you can, you pay like upwards of a grand for like a good PC and like that's just not like not an expense for a good PC. Not all PCs. See, that's the thing PC. is like not a lot of people understand that it's easy to get a PC that runs League of Legends. Like, mm -hmm. like League doesn't League can run on a toaster. It's just that people don't know that you can build a good PC for like six hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. But even then, like that's six hundred bucks. Like that's yeah. for some people that's a whole lot of money. And like, if you make just the pure equipment, because like it's the thing that you guys were talking about. There's a basketball court everywhere in the US, PCs do not have that same luxury. If you can start bridging that gap where you make just the pure hardware more accessible, you might stand a better chance of getting more kids good at League. And obviously there's a lot of like financial considerations with that. But then again, also a lot of LCS teams have partnerships with partnerships and sponsorships with people who make PC parts. And I am sure that there are brands that would absolutely love to have their names on an initiative like this if it were done properly. And you start to put your, your mark on like the younger generation right now. Yeah, like, absolutely. Where it's like, yeah. oh, let's just let's just go to like uh, Northwestern's uh, PC Bang or whatever, and then just go over there. Yeah, whatever. It's in the north side of Chicago. Like that's very accessible. Like Chicago is an incredibly densely populated region. But that's the thing, right? It's just it's just accessibility. And like Riot does already have partnerships with like the major like Power Five conferences, like with the Big Ten and stuff, right? Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. A lot of smart institutions would see that as an this as an opportunity to be like, okay, well, you know. We can't be Alabama in football or Duke in basketball, but we can be, you know, Northwestern in esports, right? We can be like this place in Chicago to just pump out these athletes, right? Uh, and yeah, but it's just, it's like you said, it's just, it's just that accessibility. Um, because I mean, we even, I, I have this in, you know, I talk about like my, like my friends from high school, like the reason we stayed friends and, you know, connected as long as we have is through, you know, Discord and TeamSpeak and whatever. But it's like we, some of our fondest memories were at like at the mall here in, in Orange County where I live is the equivalent of a PC bang. It was just like, again, it was this place called Howie's Game Shack. It doesn't exist anymore, which is a tragedy. But Howie's Game Shack. Howie's Game Shack, yep. And it was right downstairs from the Buffalo Wild Wings. So that was that was the nice. easy Damn. one, too. It was it's wonderful. It's like that. It was like that. <laughs> um, but no, but it was it was literally that. It was just like on a Saturday when like we didn't have anything to do. It was just like, let's all go to Howie's. And that's where in season two, I learned how to play League, right? It was just, you pay 10 bucks an hour. You spend the whole day there. Right. And they would have like, you know, very kind of, like, you know, just crappy like mozzarella sticks. And like, you know, if I want to take a break, oh, you go play, yes. go play like mm. Time Crisis on the machine. Mm -hmm. And they had like a DDR mm -hmm. thing. Right. And yeah. like 
but that, but that was where I learned to play League. That's where like I fell in love with League was at the equivalent of a PC bank. I, all I want to say is that right now, League of Legends. I think that for a major region, we have one of like the lowest player play, player bases. And setting up that PC bank culture, PC bank culture. It's not gonna be a PC bank culture, but to like start setting that up is gonna be big. Because then maybe in the future we'll start to see just PC banks in general, maybe start to pick up in popularity, just yeah, just by itself. But eh, we'll see. There's a lot of steps needed. A lot of steps ne- needed. It's never gonna be easy. I think that's yeah. People talk a lot about wanting to improve. North America's talent but don't want to accept how much work and money is going to have to be put into making that a reality and I think and pain if this and is mistakes. something yep if this is something that people really really want they have to be willing to mess it up real bad a couple of times and do stuff that doesn't work to spend quite a bit of money in getting this stuff off the ground but then the amount of re- rewards that you like the, what we're seeing in Europe now like the amount of rewards that you will reap by having this solid infrastructure in place is just like, it's off the charts how mm-hmm. much gain you can get from this. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, thank you for joining us in uh, the Chris Strike Pod Saves NA. Uh, any comments <laughs> you have, suggestions, et cetera, hit us up on Twitter. We do have a, a Twitter page, at Chris Strike Pod. Um, hit us up at, uh, at underscore M-E-G-I-T-O, at Tyler underscore is underscore online, and at mm-hmm. Enrique Demore, H-E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-D-A-M-O-U-R. That's been us Damn. this week. Rap, rap, uh, and we'll be back. Rap, yeah, exactly. Captain Flowers, I'm coming for you, dog. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Chris Strike Pod. Until then, take it easy.